Welcome to Bit vs. Byte, a weekly podcast about the web design industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. So first up, a bit of news. So there was a court case brought by a blind individual against Domino's back in 2016. And it was because their iOS app at the time, and I believe it currently, was not sufficiently accessible to a screen reader for them. So they weren't able to place an order and then modify their order later on. Originally, Domino's won this, but then upon appeal, they then lost it. So with this win for this individual, it adds legal precedent to the notion that companies need to make their content accessible, especially those that are used by a lot of folks. Uh, and it can be said that the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990 can be unclear, but it was found that not being accessible placed a, quote, undue burden on them, which is really what it came down to. So with this win, it means that many more companies will have to consider the fact that are they being as accessible as they can within reason and an undue burden isn't being placed upon folks that need this to be able to you know, use their services. So it remained to be seen how this plays out, but I thought it was a pretty interesting case that I wasn't aware of uh, until reading about this recently. So next up, you may have heard the news of a very large uh, user and password breach. Uh, it supposedly contained about 773 million users and about 21 million unique passwords. So it, it was a relatively large breach that was added to the Have I Been Owned database. And the collection is thought to be about two to three years old. And this was originally brought and added to the database by Troy Hunt, who is in charge of Have I Been Owned, which is a fantastic service. But with a little bit more investigation by Brian Krebs, who is a, a notable uh, security researcher, you know, he found that it's about two to three years old. And after having some conversations with the apparent seller, it's only one of several collections not even close to the largest gathering of stolen data that that individual has. A point that was brought up, though, is that since it is a lot of older data, you know, gathered from a bunch of other leaked sources and kind of put together, it may not be terribly useful to, you know, malicious hackers out there since it does tend to be older. That being said, though, of, of course, any breach and any amount of information out there is far less than ideal. And so the recommendations, as always, to not reuse passwords and to change them relatively often certainly holds and can definitely be you know, seen in this case where if you have one password here and you use it on a bunch, then it's very easy for someone to get a hold of that password and then spider out into all your other services that you may use and compromise them further. So there was a, an interesting case that happened with uh, WPML which is the WordPress multi-language or multilingual plugin that uh, put out by the WPML company. And 
what happened was a suspicious email went out to all WPML customers that explained that it was from a former customer that had two of their websites hacked by security holes that were in the WPML plugin. So naturally, there was a whole lot of concern. The company website then went on to be defaced as well. So after all this concern and uh, you know worry that you know the plugin itself was vulnerable and rightly so, uh, the company did respond that it was actually a former employee that had left a security hole you know on their web infrastructure upon departure from the company and not in the plugin themselves. Furthermore, they would be taking legal action against them. So although thankfully the WPML plugin itself is safe. Uh, it did not bode well for the company, and it was, it, you know, arguably pretty tough on them to uh, figure this out. And depending on the size, which I would imagine are probably a small group, you know, an unfortunate act and hopefully a lesson learned for sure. So if you use Cloudflare, uh, and notably their new Cloudflare registrar service, you know, and they recently introduced this, they are now offering this one-click DNSSEC offer. And so what this really means is that if you transfer your domains over to Cloudflare, and the biggest draw to doing so for this is that you can transfer these uh, domains there and you will only pay the, you know, market price for them and what Cloudflare being a registrar would pay for them. And you won't have to pay that extra markup or anything. And so if you do this, one of the big pluses uh, that Cloudflare can bring to it, and it really fits into their core you know, mission and bringing security, is that there is a one-click button to enable DNSSEC on the, your domains. And so what this is, is it's a way to verify that the DNS request for your domain is actually accurate and it's not spoofed and it's where it's supposed to be. So if your DNS is hosted by them and your domain is hosted by them, you can click to enable this and it will take care of all the behind the scenes work since normally it can be a bit more complicated a process. I've done it on a few of my domains and it wasn't horrible, but at the same time, there is a bunch of back and forth and things I had to do. So this would definitely be a, a nice feature and, and a big upsell to why you would want to transfer over there other than just cost reasons. And finally in news, a, a smaller uh, thing and a bit more technical, but something called DNS Flag Day. And I wasn't actually aware of this till very recently, but it is a pretty technical type of thing. But coming on February 1st, most of the main DNS vendors out there will cease implementing these DNS resolver workarounds to accommodate DNS authoritative systems that don't follow the eDNS protocol. And so what that is, it's its extended DNS protocol, and it basically allows one to add extra kind of metadata to the DNS uh, records, and it's essential to things such as DNSSEC which I believe is one major reason to make this change because to kind of move forward with all these extra options and these kind of things, uh, they really need to have this use across the board. And this is kind of a way to force other operators to get on board with making sure they support this and that 
we can now move forward to security across the board. Though one downside to having implemented um, EDNS quite, well, quite some time ago, this isn't anything new, is that it did allow for the um, DNS amplification attacks, mostly because you can add so much extra metadata, you can really increase the size of those DNS uh, returns, and then that way, that is one way to kind of overload a target with traffic, As, which was kind of interesting, like, yeah, we, we have all this new functionality we can offer through here, but the downside is it did enable this. So always something to consider, you know, what, what is the good and bad about these things, but something to be aware of if you happen to be one of those DNS uh, administrators, this could affect you in some way. Uh, but if you're probably running anything relatively new in terms of your software, you'll be okay. So a couple links and resources I want to touch on. Uh, there's a pretty good article um, on, on Medium from the Seek blog, which is, which is iconography, is it good or bad? And as always, it depends. And it was actually a pretty good little article about when are good and bad uses of icons in your design, when they can actually add or remove from it, especially if icons are ambiguous, and when it just doesn't make sense to add them just for the sake of a couple extra pictures here and there. And it makes sense. I mean, all this seems common sense, but I think that designers, web designers, you know, folks doing this kind of stuff have a tendency to want to put some extra pictures on there, kind of make it a little bit more, you know, broken up than just text. And that's, that's understandable and good, but will it detract from the actual readability and usability of the um, actual content if you're not paying attention to when you should use icons or those kinds of things within your UI? Next, there was a update from Coblox, and I believe this is version 1.6. Uh, which is a plugin for WordPress Gutenberg, which added some enhanced row and column capabilities uh, as a block ability. And it also let you nest these as well. But it really did give quite a lot of flexibility and something I've been looking for as I'm evaluating Gutenberg and what I can use with it. Still not all the way there for my needs, but it, it definitely looks like this kind of maybe the the future of where some of this goes. and and what we can do. So pretty cool. And it seemed like it worked pretty well. Uh, I need to evaluate it myself just to see if it'll work for what I want, but uh, definitely check it out. And this was a w, uh, WP Tavern article as well, um, which is a pretty good site for you know WordPress Tavern, for WordPress news and that kind of thing. Uh, next up, there was a uh, art, good article about, well, not so much an article, but kind of a short snippet um, from uh, CSS IRL, or in real life. And it was about the upcoming ability to animate the CSS grid. So what this uh, means is that you can animate moving uh, from you know different sizes on the grid lines, which is pretty cool if you can you know want to say shift your layout slightly you're maintaining the overall grid shape, but maybe the sizes and the width and the heights of things. And it's just kind of a really cool, smooth animation between those. Uh, this is only in Firefox nightly. So obviously not very far out there, 
and CSS Grid itself is supported by 90% plus, but it's not universally out there as well. But definitely check it out, and it kind of shows what's coming up and what might be soon uh, capabilities for us as web developers and really being able to create some pretty cool and well-animated layouts. Finally, I wanted to touch on the topic of internal security. You know, when I was reading through that WordPress Tavern article about WPML and really the worries and the concern that, you know, businesses large and small have about potential bad actors, not only from the outside, but internally. The problem is, though, you don't want to have an environment where you inherently distrust everyone because that really doesn't make for a good working uh, relationship with your employees. But at the same time, you want to protect yourself as a company and you want to protect your employees from potential things that may happen from other employees. Uh, you know, somebody just has a bad day and, and things happen. You know, so how do you approach your overall security posture and you know, processes in such a way that perhaps you can avoid this kind of thing happening. So to kind of touch on the topic of trust a little bit, how do you trust your individuals with the access that they need to actually do the work that they need, but at the same time to make sure that, you know, perhaps something you know, couldn't go wrong later on. And so really what this made me think about is, you know, only give folks the amount of access they need. And this comes up a lot because, you know, oftentimes in IT administrative roles, you get a ton of access just by nature of what you're doing, but often you really don't need all that access. Or even if you do, you can check out that access at small bits of time and only gain what you need during that time period. So maybe that's a better way to do it. And really, I think that's where some of the industry is going, where, you know what, I need to do this thing, and I'm authorized to do it, so I'm going to check out the password or access I need for a set amount of time, do the thing I need, and then have that access revoked until such time that I need it again. And that does kind of put a limit at what, what you can do. So if your account's compromised, if um, just by you know, say it's your last day or whatever, and you don't have the access you need, you really would mean that there'd be a lot of foresight and planning, not to say things can happen, but it would limit impact of things. But it also means that you as the employee, you're protected because, well, if something were to happen to your account, now you don't necessarily have the access at that time to do as much damage as could happen. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about inadvertently doing something. And it's just a better security process. It's not necessarily about not trusting. It's really just about making sure that, hey, you have access to the things you need at the time you need them, but not when you don't. You know, and that kind of touches on systems them themselves, which are, you know, how do you monitor changes? How do you make sure that things are as they're supposed to be? And it, that one's really tough because there are so many changes, so many different things you need to make sure are happening at any given time on even a small company and small sets of you know, uh, computers and technology that it can be a real challenge to do so. 
but it does make you start thinking about, well, how do I know when a change has happened? How do I know that this is supposed to be, you know, look in a certain way or act in a certain way? So you really have to think about, well, how do I architect a system of monitoring to make sure that that happens? You know, there are many ways to do this. Uh, there are many systems to do this. You know, oftentimes, too, uh, you can use a, a setup such as Chef or Ansible to kind of apply a configuration. So even if something changes or goes poorly, you can apply the same configuration on a schedule to make sure that they fit what is supposed to be there. And you can find out that, oh, wait, something changed. Why did that happen? So not perfect, but at the same time, you have some clue and it, and it fixes wherever the issue might be pretty quickly. You know, and finally, what are the expectations around, you know, your, your employees, um, their overall happiness in the, in the company, and in terms of keeping a, a solid process in place for onboarding, offboarding, for uh, resolution of concerns, you know, all that kind of thing. And sometimes those parts of it really come after the fact. You know, when you're trying to quickly iterate, on a technology or you know your company itself just trying to grow oftentimes that kind of stuff is left by the wayside and you just kind of quickly get everything going but it should you should really make sure not to let that languish too long because having those solid processes really make a big difference in terms of making sure that when you get folks you know up and working within your company they can quickly get to where they need to, understand very clearly what your expect expectations as an employer are and what their expectations should be as an employee. So something to consider about that it's not just a technology solution, but it's kind of that overall view of how you manage the company, what you should be presenting and expecting from everyone. So I kind of wanted to end there. I just thought it was an interesting look into what internal security should be, you know, looked at what you should be worrying about. And, you know, when things can go wrong, you know, what will happen and potential effects from that. So finally, follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.